So let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, we do pray right now as we look at your word that we would understand just how satisfying Jesus really is. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard someone talk about a first world problem before. Uh, It's when people complain about something. It's really not that important. Like when someone gets stressed about losing the remote control or when they can't find a car park at the shops or when the internet's just a little bit slow. They're the sort of things you wouldn't complain about if you lived in a slum or if you had to survive on only one meal a day. It makes the whole first world problem craze a little bit obscene. But we, the irony is that in Australia we've got so much food that we don't have a problem with starvation, we have a problem with obesity. And we've ultimately, the biggest issue is we lack satisfaction. We lack satisfaction. That feeling when you are full and happy, when you can't imagine needing anything more in life. When was the last time you felt like that? When you felt that deep sense of satisfaction? Well, the irony is that the more that we've got, the less we're satisfied. We are extraordinarily rich at the moment in Australia, and yet we are extraordinarily depressed. The more we've got, the less we're satisfied. And so today we're going to look and see how Jesus is satisfying. The bit of the Bible we're going to have a look at from John chapter 6, it comes straight after one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. Jesus turned five loaves and two fish into a feast for thousands, and it showed how much compassion he had for the hungry, and it showed how much power he had over creation. And after he did this amazing miracle, he then went off to a synagogue to talk to some people there, and this is what he told them. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus fed thousands of people with bread and fish, and he filled up their stomachs and satisfied their hunger. They went around and said, anyone likes some seconds? And people were like, I could not have any more fish. I could not have any more bread. And they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus says that he himself is that bread of life that fills your stomach so you cannot ever fit anything else in. He's the stuff that people need to eat. And if they eat him, they will never hunger and they will never thirst But he's not talking about our physical hunger. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about true satisfaction. He says he'll give it to anyone who comes to him and believes in him. True satisfaction for anyone who trusts in him. If you hunger for true satisfaction in life, Jesus will give it to you. You're not going to get it from anywhere else. Jesus is satisfying. But the problem is that people choose all sorts of other ways to get satisfied. People devote themselves to careers. They work long hours. They try and climb the ladder. Many of you in this room have have finished work and are now in the time of retirement. You can look back on that moment. 
But in your retirement, what are you seeking? Many people in their retirement sort of go through the bucket list, all the things that you went through life wanting to do but weren't able to do when you were so busy paying off a house and now you've paid off your house, you can do all sorts of things. What are the states of Australia that you haven't visited? Tick them off. That'll give you satisfaction. What are the states of the US that you haven't visited? Tick them off and it'll give you satisfaction. People worship relationships. They think if they can get a lifetime partner, then that spouse will satisfy them. They think if they can get a deep friend, a close friend, a bunch of mates, then that will satisfy them. People pursue leisure activities. If only we could have one more weekend day, you know, not go go for two days, go for a three-day weekend. How much more satisfied would we all be, we think? And if we can get a bit more money, if I can be sure that my superannuation's all in order, if I can sort of count off the possessions I have and do a stock take of everything I've got, that will satisfy me. Friends, that's never worked. It doesn't work today. Some of the richest people are the least happy. And yet because they're rich and they control the media and they want you to buy stuff, they're not going to tell you that. And so the people who don't have much pursue stuff so that they can have more stuff so that they can be happy like the people who are rich who are actually not happy. And this is how it's summarized in Romans chapter 1. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself. It's a very sad thing, isn't it? God said, I made this beautiful world for you. And we say, well, thank you, God. Let's worship it. It's like, no, 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 no. Worship me. And so I ask you today, are you worshipping God or are you worshipping his creation? It's okay to be thankful to God for his creation and to enjoy his creation, but is the creation God? Those things I listed before? You know how you can work out who your God is or what your God is? If you get angry when someone stops you having access to something, then it's likely that you are actually worshipping it. And so if you're angry because you're not able to travel as you intended or you're not able to enjoy the things that you have got because you've been told you can't go and buy those or use those or be there or do this, if you're angry because you you look at the stock market and you say, my wealth has now reduced by 20% in the last week, if that makes you angry, then maybe you're worshipping those things. If maybe someone has not called you up as much as they have or maybe you've had to cancel those family and friend times and that's making you angry, then are you worshipping those things more than God? Or worse of all, are you worshipping those things instead of God? Because that's the big thing today. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty It's so clear. It's right there. You'd think, why would you not come to Jesus when he is giving us a smorgasbord? It's like when you go to those banquets and you can eat as much as you possibly want and your plate is empty at the end and you're thinking, 
I want to go back for more, but I just think that I might be physically sick because there's there's more oysters, there's more smoked salmon. And as my boys would go, there's more soft serve. It's like, come on, i got to go back. This is Jesus. Why would you want to go somewhere else? But imagine if you were actually there seeing Jesus do this. Imagine you were at Wynn Stadium and you've turned up and you've watched the whole first half of the game, and they say at the end, we're really sorry, but there's been a problem. There are no pies, there are no sausage rolls, there are no beers, there are no drinks, there are no nothing, there's no Mars bars, you can't have a thing. Sorry about that. And you're feeling like, I, I, you know, I, I love my footy, but I love my halftime footy snacks. I'm really feeling hungry. And some guy walks out into the pitch and he says, guess what? I've got a lunchbox. And everyone boos him, boo, until he starts handing around all this food. And you think, I don't know how he's doing that. And suddenly everybody there is, has got this beautiful fish and this delicious hot bread and they're filling up their stomachs with it. They're saying, this is beautiful. This is much better than the catering at Winstadium. And off they go and they're full. And he says, any more? And you're thinking, this is incredible how he's done this. And he keeps, and then give us your leftovers. And there's 12 big bins sitting there. You watched it with your own eyes. You ate it. You smelt it. You heard people's reaction. You saw it. You experienced it. We only read about it. But imagine if you were there. But the incredible thing, verse 36, you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me, he said to the people there in the synagogue. You saw me. You experienced it. And you still don't think that I am who I am. They saw Jesus, but they didn't believe in him. It's hard to imagine they could watch him do this stuff and yet not follow him, but there's a reason behind it. And that is in verse 37, Jesus says, Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. God is giving Jesus his followers. And so because of this, we know that in all of this confusion, nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing takes him by surprise. And Jesus will accept those people that God the Father has given him and will never drive those people away. If you come to Jesus, it's not like he's going to say, sorry, you've run out of, I've run out of food. Or sorry, I've run out of me. I can't satisfy you. Or sorry, you're not on the guest list. You come to Jesus, you bring your friends to Jesus, and he will accept them. That's how it works. And verses 38 is a great word of comfort. For I have come, Jesus said, down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Jesus is doing the Father's job and he's making sure that he is holding tightly to those who have come to him. He keeps us secure. He gives us that hug. You know when someone hugs you and it's like, oh, I think I'm having trouble breathing. It's kind of like that's the Jesus hug. That's the protection that Jesus gives us when we come to him. And he protects us for a purpose. We read there, so he raises up on the last day. He protects us so he can resurrect us. 
Now, the thing about resurrection is we can sort of say that's a sort of a churchy kind of word. It's a Bible-y kind of word. It's not a relevant kind of word to us today. Well, I'm sorry, it is because it's about dying and about rising from the dead. I don't need to come come to you this morning and scare you with stuff about dying. I think the media is doing an excellent job of that at the moment. In fact, we're all doing it to each other because right now we are, you know, my phone is buzzing every 30 minutes telling me about another country that's gone into lockdown. 250 people died just in Italy last, yesterday. 250. And the number is escalating. We know all of this. I don't need to tell you this. I don't want to scare you, but that's a reality. Uncertainty is there. Mandy and I were chatting last night. I wonder what's going to happen this week. I don't know. Do you know? What's Australia going to be like? What's Wollongong Hospital going to be like? What's Shell Harbour Hospital going to be like? I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. There's uncertainty there. But come to Jesus and you have security. Come to Jesus and you have satisfaction. Yes, it's important that we take hygiene seriously. We have our own prized hand sanitizer right there. We've got another one in the hall. Please use it a lot. But the point is that please wash your hands, but please come to Jesus if you haven't already. And if you have, then that's okay. You've got security in him. And that's because his heavenly Father's will is to save those who trust in Jesus. Verse 40, for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will resurrect them. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus will keep his precious ones safe. He'll get to that final day, and he'll say, here are my saints in Jamboree. I raise up the followers of Jesus right here. It's not like he's going to say, oh, Where are those people from Jamboree? I'm sure I had them in my pocket. I've lost them. They're gone. They're gone. No! He will keep us safe and he will raise us on that last day. When's that last day going to be? Ah, It might be centuries away. Might be this year. Tell you what, have a look around the news. It's not a normal year. (laughs) I saw a meme yesterday on Facebook. It said, has someone tried turning 2020 off and on again. (laughs) It's kind of like it hasn't started up very well. Maybe this is the year when Jesus returns. Maybe it's not, because he usually likes to surprise us, which is lovely. But if you are in Christ's hands, if you have come to him, then you are safe. Don't worry about the future. And make sure you share that with others, because why would you hide that? Where are your Jesus' things? Jesus said, 41, Uh, all these things. But the problem is people responded very strangely. They began to murmur in disagreement because he'd said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the bloke down the street? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? This guy's got tickets on himself. It's like, yeah, but... He's pretty good at catering. Anyone notice that? And when it comes to meteorology, he's not a hack at that. But nonetheless, they they ignore him. They can't understand him. And they grumble. They murmur in disagreement. Why? Well, they murmur, they grumble because Jesus said he came down from heaven. All they can think of him is as Joseph's kid. They grumble. They think he is an idiot. 
See, I think we see a bit of this today. People are pretty happy to acknowledge that Jesus is an historical figure. If anyone says to you, oh, no, Jesus never existed, it's like, don't say out loud you're an idiot, but it's a reality. Historians are not dopes. They know what they're doing. Every historian knows that Jesus was a historical figure. No doubt about that. Where people don't get it is they'll say, I don't believe what he said, or I don't believe that he really rose from the dead. I reckon that they just reported that wrongly. Well, that's both wrong as well. But to deny that he's historical, that's hysterical. Jesus really lived. But people don't necessarily believe him or like what he said. And sometimes they grumble, they complain. This is the deeper issue. Verse 43, Jesus said, stop complaining about what I said. Stop grumbling. It's funny that there would be those people right there hearing what Jesus said and yet rejecting it. Jesus, yet he, what Jesus has done is he, is he is there giving them bread from heaven, but they're grumbling about it, and it's not the first time it's happened. Jesus, God took the people of God out of Egypt, took them out of horrible slavery, and out into the desert he gave them food, free delivery of food, and yet they grumbled about it. Numbers 11, 4, the foreign rabble travelling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Good things? Mm. And the people of Israel also began to complain, oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. A manna, which, which is translated, what is this? They don't know what it is. It's kind of a bread thing from heaven, a wafer, honey wafer or something like that. But God gave it to them every day. He provided this bread of heaven to them and they grumble. Oh, it was so good back in Egypt. Idiots. No, it wasn't. You were in slavery. You cried out to God, save us. And he did. And he's now feeding you and you say, oh, he'd love some garlic. It's like, really? Jesus comes before them, feeds them so extravagantly, and they're like, oh, he's just the kid from down the street. They grumble. But what would be the thing that would make them so blind? Verse 44, we read that Jesus says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. There are people in Jamboree who have been called by God and they will come to him when they see your bumper sticker and say, Jesus is, I've seen that everywhere, what's the deal? And you talk to them about how Jesus satisfies just tell them, you know, there was, for me, Jesus is satisfying. You know, there was a time, it's hard to believe, but Jesus took someone's lunchbox and he fed 5,000 families. And that just points to the fact that he will satisfy us completely in this life and the next. Say something like that. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You reckon you can remember that thing, satisfying? 
and they will say, I want it. And they will come to him. But in all of this, we do realize that God the Father doesn't send everyone to follow Jesus. But anyone who comes to him, he will accept. But he doesn't send everyone. That's the reality of this matter. But when they do come to Jesus, they will come to the person who has actually seen God the Father. Jesus says, not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. See, if you know somebody who has met someone very, very famous, uh, what do you do? You say, so what was he like in real life? Because he seems nice on TV. You say, oh, well, he's actually much shorter in real life than you realise. Oh, really? And he was really, really nice. Like, like he wanted to stop and talk to us and, and take time. He could have just gone and got into his limo and returned back to the hotel room, but he wanted to chat to us. It's like, wow. Jesus says, I've actually spoken to God the Father. I actually know God the Father. I was sent from him. So why wouldn't you say to Jesus, what's the Father like? Why wouldn't they have done that in his presence? Because Jesus claims he's personally seen God the Father. That's reality. That's a remarkable access to God. And you'd think that would give him great authority, that everybody amongst him would say, take us to the Father. But the point is that because Jesus has met the Father and knows the Father and he and the Father are one, he can say this with confidence. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. If we believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life. Life for forever. The first psalm we heard today, I did not pick. It's the next bit we're reading through from Psalm 1. What did it say? Teach us to number our days. Our life is but a handbreadth. It's little. If you can get to 100 years of age, that would be awesome. You know, Hold your cricket bat up high and point it at the crowd and they'll stand up and cheer. But in eternal life, 100 years is like a, a blink and another one, blink, and another one, blink. That's eternity. That's what matters. If you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. Whether you die in 10 years or 50 years, or maybe baby Ezra, he, he, he might live to another 100 years. Some of us in this room, quite possible that one of us will die this year. Maybe a few of us, if the coronavirus goes bananas. I don't know. You don't know the future. But you can be sure for the future. If you trust in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. As Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, the source of salvation, the place to go for eternity. And he says, I'm much better than what they got in the desert. Verse 49 and 50, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. But anyone who leaves the bread, eats the bread from heaven will never die. Jesus compares two different breads from God. The manna that may not have been full of variety, but was full of sustenance. And he compares his own bread, the bread from heaven. And he says, anyone who eats that bread from heaven will never die, verse 50. The big difference is that one is living bread, one is dead bread. And Jesus says, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live, 
is my flesh. We need to consume Jesus. And that is because Jesus will soon, after he said this, give his body and blood for the world. Now, it's a bit weird, isn't it, to think about eating Jesus. Now, if you've been coming along to church for a while, you'll know from our prayer book that we, this is something we talk about all the time, consuming Jesus. It's in the Bible as well. But it's still a bit weird to eat the bread of Jesus and drink the cup of his blood. It's a bit odd, isn't it? The first time anyone heard this, they were a bit confused about it. Verse 52, the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Fair point. Fair point. It's like, g'day, welcome to to Chamber of Anglican here today. Um, Come and eat my arm. It's like... Oh, you've got a weird minister here. You know, it's kind of like Jesus comes up the front and says, Hey, have baskets of food and come and eat me. Oh, that escalated quickly. It's like, what is going on here? You can see why people are a bit confused. But Jesus explains it a bit more. This verse 53 says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. He talks now not only of his flesh, but his blood, which is even a bit more kind of B-grade horror movie, isn't it? It's like blood. It's like, what is going on here? If you find it a bit weird and maybe a little bit offensive, think about the Jews. They were not big fans of blood. Anywhere near it, you you would stay away from it. In fact, here's what it taught in Leviticus in the Old Testament, that if any native Israelite or foreigner lives among you or he eats or drinks blood in any form. I will turn against that person and cut him off. You know, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you must never eat or drink blood. And Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, uh, what's going on here? The point is that blood was something that was in the life of God's Old Testament people. And that is because God's blood brought atonement. When you had the blood of the animals that were cut and splashed on the altar, atonement happens. It's a technical kind of word, but it's about making enemies into friends. It's about reconciling. It's what happened at the cross, but it's what happened in the temple with the sacrifice of the animals. And so the reason that Jesus is talking about giving his own flesh and blood is because he's talking about his own sacrifice. And all of this basically says to us that we, if we want to get friends with Jesus, if we want to get friends with God, we need to consume Jesus to get that true satisfaction. That true satisfaction. Because verse verse 54 says, Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. He will bring us back to life at the end of human history. Any of those 250 souls who died yesterday um, over in Europe, in Italy, if they were friends with Jesus on the last day, they will be raised with him and have eternal life. Don't worry about coronavirus. Worry about Judgment Day. And if you're safe in Christ, 
you need not fear. Now, I'm preaching to the choir here. I look around, I see so many people know Jesus. But your friends don't. This is the week to do it, isn't it? Tell them about it. Life's short. The reason is, Jesus says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. The bottom line is, Jesus is the real thing. His flesh is real food. His blood is real drink. And if we consume him, then our relationship goes on forever and ever. And his, and this true life that we have is so much better than the bread that came down in the desert. And it's infinitely better than anything else people try to shove down our throats or make us want to eat in this life. Verse 58, Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Here's the only way to get eternal life. You know, eating and drinking Jesus' flesh, talking about that, is, it's a little weird, to be honest. It is weird. But it made a lot of sense a few years later when Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night before he died. Because you remember he ate a special meal with his closest friends? It was the Passover meal, but it actually became what we now know as the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul records these things about it. And you'll find these words very familiar. He says, For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. That's a connection there. And he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what it's pointing towards. Not the meal, but it's what the meal would represent the day after. And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to tell you today that you need to feed on Jesus. And to be perfectly honest, if there's just a possibility that deep down, hidden in your heart, you know maybe that perhaps you have not become a true follower of Jesus. If you have any doubt, let's sort it out in the next few minutes. I said this last night. As I looked around the room last night, I reckon there might have been some people who maybe didn't know Jesus. I can't tell this morning. I don't know. But I'm going to say this again, repeat it again. Become a follower of Jesus right now if you have any doubt. Here's a prayer on the screen that we're going to say together in a moment. It's a prayer that anybody who is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can pray. But it's also the sort of prayer that if you want to become a genuine follower of Jesus, why don't you say it out loud now when we get to the point? If you don't want to become a follower of Jesus, then just listen quietly to those around you. That's okay. But maybe this is the day for you to say it out loud and to have that confidence. Here are the words. Dear Jesus, this is what we're going to say in a moment. 
Sorry I haven't always believed and followed you. Thank you that you died and rose to forgive me. Help me to trust and be satisfied in you always. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've already prayed a prayer like that before, but you can pray it again because it's, a, it's, a, it's saying, I want to be satisfied in you. But if there's a chance that you've never said it before, something like that, please do it now. Walk out these doors with certainty for eternity. Let's pray it now. Dear Jesus, sorry I haven't always believed and followed you. Thank you that you died and rose to forgive me. Help me to trust and be satisfied in you always. Amen.